many memories have come flooding back. I put this song on repeat, just crying my eyes out. It made me feel so bloody alive. This song really nails the feeling of nostalgia for a place. And we all just stopped talking and just stared at the radio. Like, what is that? It's part of the noble genre of songs by women about masturbation. I love it. I love that song so much. Box. Meet people through their music with Ash Berdebez on FBI. On the show today, I have a guest who means business, Blair Polizzi. So Blair is the CEO of 350.org and 350 is spearheading a worldwide campaign to get businesses, governments and basically anyone and everyone to divest from fossil fuels. And lately she's been making big banks in particular feel the heat. Welcome on Out of the Box, Blair. Thank you very much. So now you've worked for like lots of social and environmental justice campaigns around the world. So you've worked for Greenpeace and Human Rights Watch. One might say you're in the business of saving the planet. <laughs> yeah, I think um, there is a business and there is a, a way of life, as it were, in the nonprofit sector. It's a fantastic group of people that work in it. And I've certainly, over the years, really enjoyed not only um, meeting them, working with them, but um, feeling like it, it's an ever-evolving um, way to find solutions, get people activated and bring about change. So as the CEO of 350.org, to just give us an idea about what 350 actually does... What's been maybe your biggest win in the past year with 350? Yeah, in Australia, I think our focus uh, has really been around stopping the large, very big new fossil fuel projects that are on the books and ready to be rolled out. So one of the most terrifying was the Galilee Basin mega mines. There were eight or nine planned, um, and one in particular, a company called Adani, an Indian company, that had gone you know a long way down the track of getting what it needed in terms of uh, you know permission to build and uh, gone through the government process. Um, and what it was really you know it was ready to go, but opening up an entire new area that really would tip in terms of carbon uh, the, the global scales and and you know for for one region to be able to do that just gives you the sense of the size of, of how big this problem was and it was a whole new coal area it would be shipped through the Great Barrier Reef um, and we w in partnership with many groups focused on the finance side uh, and many were working on international banks and there are now I think 13 that have said they won't touch this project and we started looking at banks in Australia as well and running a campaign against Commonwealth Bank in particular had an ongoing relationship and also uh, talking to the other banks to say, well, what do you think? Would this be something you'd fund? And, and both. Actually, I remember that. That's, that's how I first met you because it was right. at the Commonwealth Bank rally in, I think I think it was Marketplace, and they, they'd they been warned ahead of time that there'd be a protest happening. Right. And what happened on the day? Rocked up at the bank and... Yeah, well, there were many, you know, going on all around the country. There were altogether, I think, there were 26, but uh, there were people inside the banks. Uh, there were some branches that shut down. Uh, but in the end, the bank uh, ended, the relationship with Adani ended, how they won't talk about in detail. But it still means that at this point in time, Adani doesn't have an active bank working with it uh, on the project. And not long after, uh, NAB came out and said they would drop, they wouldn't touch the project. So you have two banks that have distanced themselves from the project in Australia. It makes it very hard for a company like that to get a project up. And that's a huge win. It can be. Uh, more to do. You know, we wouldn't say it's over yet, but it's a, it's taken us very quickly down to a position where it would be very hard to get that project going. Awesome. So can we talk a little bit about, you know, fossil fuel divestment? 
What is divestment? Sure. Um, Yeah, you know, one of the things that we were finding internationally and here in Australia is that people were frustrated that governments weren't doing more on climate and and people wanted to say, what can I do? And um, one of the obvious things is we all have super funds, we have bank accounts, we all belong to things like churches, universities, um, uh, even a workplace fund, like some of the dedicated super funds by by profession. Um, You know, you can use that, what you have there, to take your money to make a stand and say, we're going to remove it out of fossil fuels because like tobacco, it's a risk for one thing. It's a risk. We know climate action is coming, um, that governments are going to start regulating much more aggressively. Uh, and so there are what we call stranded asset risks where projects that are planned are just never going to happen. But also it's, you know, morally, do you want your money being put into something that's going to contribute to climate change? So very rapidly in a period of two and a half years, we now have 40 odd institutions in Australia who have divested. Churches, universities have taken some steps. Some of it's partial, some of it's full divestment, but each time it's sending a really strong market message that investment in fossil fuels is no longer going to be supported. So that's the big business side of things. But I guess how can people who are, you know, maybe listeners of FBI mm. actually make sure that their money isn't just somehow subtly, sneakily invested in sure. fossil fuels? Well, I think looking at your bank first up and asking what they're doing about uh, protecting uh, long-term investment and not putting it in fossil fuels um, and making a choice if that really worries you to choose a bank that isn't doing it. There are banks in Australia who don't invest in fossil fuels. Um, the smaller ones, you know, Bendigo is probably the, the most well-known, but uh, Bank MECU, I think they're changing their name now but they're an example. And a lot of the um, co-ops and community banks um, have a clear stance, so you can choose those. Super funds, uh, your listeners would either have one or be thinking about getting one and setting one up. You know, there are choices there to be made. And asking those questions along the way to choosing your your super fund is really important because then they know that the pressure is on and that people are actually, you know, choosing on this basis. Uh, And we'll have to look at what they're going to do about it. So my guest in Out of the Box today is Blair Polisi. She's asking you to divest from fossil fuels and we're (laughs) asking you to invest in FBI radio. So yeah, put your money where your beliefs are. 833-22945. Please ring up and uh, support this fair station from as little as five crowns a month. That's diddly squat. Um, You know, maybe not for everyone, but it's not a lot of money for most of us. You know, that's a beer. Give us a ring. We've got some lovely people waiting on the phones in the hallway on 833-22945. Give us a bell. And we've got our first song for the day from, what is it? So it's a permaculture <laughs> band, which is not something I've heard of before. <laughs> So what what are they called? Formidable vegetable Formidable Vegetable Sound System and this is a song called Limits and it's you know sums up really where we are in the choices we're making right now. Another box FBI as the one you inhabit I'm the air you breathe and the land on which you're standing the food that you eat but I'm getting a little bit dark on some of the ways you treat me you need yet still you want more you fall 
falling over yourselves with greed Yeah, it's time I remind you to exercise restraint Because if there's one thing you should know It's infinite, I ain't You've been having a field day on my skin Cutting it up, burrowing in But I'm reaching for my skin lotion To take away the pain You better start to regulate Your lifestyles of excess Cause I'm picking up my telephone And dialing up the pest control guy So get your L.I. I've got It's time to check yourself and stop pointing fingers out Because self-responsibility is what it's all about Stop relying on the top, cause it starts here on the ground Just get back to your goddess people, stop fooling around Yeah, get back, get back, I said get back, get back, just get back FBI 94.5 A permaculture band Apparently that's a thing that exists now So they are called 
formidable, formidable vegetable, vegetable sound system. system. <laughs> I get a good picture in my head of that. Just <laughs> like a, a little a little green-ups box with just like on, on speakers and stuff. <laughs> so I want to give a quick shout-out, if I can, to uh, Hamish in Roseville for signing up as a supporter of this fine establishment. Yay, Hamish. Yay, thank you, Hamish. That's awesome of you. Uh, welcome to the fam. Good to have you here. And so on Out of the Box today, I have Blair Polisi, and she is the CEO, the big boss of <laughs> of 350.org Australia. Yes. And I, I kind of want to ask you, you've got, you know, you've worked all over the world on, you know, various you know, climate campaigns and human rights campaigns. And I think particularly for climate, I want to ask you, where does Australia kind of fit? Because sometimes it feels like we're lagging a bit, like we're a little bit... Um, in the in the in the naughty corner, I suppose. <laughs> I think you know action. through the recent Tony Abbott months, and I like saying months rather than years because <laughs> you know it came to a surprising end. Um, we were far off into the naughty corner. Uh, it was really Australia and Canada that were the two biggest worries internationally, and lagging on action. And you know we, the great unknown is what now. I think everyone thinks there's a change in attitude, and that's great. But obviously, we'll have to see what that looks like, and you know what it really delivers. And um, a change of prime minister. I mean, what, exactly. what, are your, what are your feelings about well, Malcolm Well, you know, want to be optimistic. Um, interestingly, Malcolm Turnbull, I, I've met and know, and I know Lucy, and I have. Uh, he's a big fan of Bill McKibbins, our founder in the U.S., and so we've spent some time with him when Bill's been around. And, you know, he understands climate change. So the big challenge is, uh, will the party let him act in a way that is useful, um, that is innovative, and that is economically helpful for Australia? Because let's face it, this the energy systems of the world are changing rapidly, and we're either going to be part of that or we're going to miss out. And as of, you know, two months ago, we were absolutely on the missing out section of it all. And now we have the potential to move into the player role. And Paris is coming. The big next uh, UN meeting uh, called the COP is coming up at the end of November. You know, it, it's a real opportunity for us to change. And even though Malcolm has made it clear he doesn't want to change the, sta- you know, the position of Australia or what our, what our commitment is, um, there's many, many other things we can do uh, that will make a great difference. So everyone's watching and waiting with, you know, hopeful enthusiasm. But Bated breath. Bated breath. But we'll see. You know, have to see what he actually delivers, and that'll take some time. All right, awesome. So you did mention Bill McKibben a second ago, and for the uninitiated, who is the wonderful Bill McKibben? Yeah, he is wonderful, I have to say. I, I've met him years and years ago through when I was working at Greenpeace in Washington or got to know him just over the phone for one of his books, but he's written 12 or 15 books. Um, he's one of those people that has a huge following, so people who um, you know, really appreciated his honest, his kind of style of journalism, writing about the environment. You know, he, he's written a book called End of Nature that was one of those sort of quintessential essential nature books or environment yeah. books that everybody kind of read either through yeah, university. One of the first, very first climate right. change books. Yeah, so absolutely. For a general and audience. For a general good. audience. And um, has gone on to write several others that are fantastic. And um, he's a, just a lovely guy. He's very humble. Uh, he's very soft-spoken, very smart, and he knows his science. So he's very hard to come up against uh, and, and disagree with because he's just so rock solid. Actually, if anyone's interested in reading something by Bill McKibben that's a bit more, you know, digestible in the space of a day, did a really great article with Rolling Stone magazine mm. that was just, it really broke, broke down all those little kind of um, indicators we used to say, like, we can't go over this certain amount in, right. in terms of, you know, in, all, in order to save the planet. Yeah, so apparently guess... it was the most shared Rolling Stone story ever. Wow. That story. So it was quite interesting. People were really interested <laughs> in it. You wouldn't think that one on climate no, change. On climate change. And he yeah. makes a joke about it all the time. But um, yeah. three big numbers in the story. One was the amount of carbon we have now in our atmosphere, the amount that we can get to before we tip the planet past isn't, two degrees. Isn't that kind of um, to do with 
350's name. Exactly, yep. 350 is the safe level. We're now well up to 400. And then the third figure that was the most terrifying was how much money is invested in new projects that take us way beyond the, um, the safe level. So, you know, it was really trying to do an accounting job to say to people, you need to understand that these are decisions and investment decisions that are happening right now, and we just can't do it. We have to see a turning, you know, where we take that money out of fossil fuels and we shift it to clean energy very rapidly or we simply can't address this problem. I do I do like this new kind of decade that we're in where, you know, I grew up with kind of like don't waste water and turn <laughs> off all the lights recycle, and everything like that. Recycle. Change your light bulb. Yeah, do do all of the all of the little bitty things yeah. that you can do and change the way that you do life and don't drive anywhere. And now we're kind of looking at the map bigger. and saying, absolutely, it's so much bigger. And, you know, these are, I think for a lot of people, they feel frustrated because these are things that it's very difficult to feel like you can have an impact on. Do we build a mine up in, you know, the Galilee Basin? Do we build new coal seam gas in, in the Hunter Valley or, or around uh, in New South Wales? Um, but that's where the divestment piece really comes in because it is, there are things people can do. And just speaking out with, with places where you have your money has already made an enormous difference. Awesome. And another number in that Bill McKimmon article was two degrees. Mm. Now, I want to I know whether two degrees of warming, you know, another two degrees from where we were when we first proposed that. We should be going by at all. Well, many scientists think it's too high. And sadly, many also think we're already well past it. So just to put a little fear of God into you. <laughs> um, you know the, I've got that. Ch- <laughs> the challenge is can how fast can we move to try and keep it at two? And the reason two degrees was picked in his maths, or do the maths article, was specifically because it's the only thing at the UN that the world has ever agreed to. So they agreed globally to try and halt warming uh, at two degrees or under. Uh, so that's what we go to Paris with. And now we have to figure out, could we do less than that? You know, in a perfect world, we would not. Because what we're seeing impacts-wise already, extreme weather, drought, uh, f- wildfires and uh, bushfires, um, all kinds of impacts already happening and well under two degrees. So what will two degrees look like? It won't be good. <sighs> On that happy note. (laughs) But, you know, I've been doing this work a long time and I have seen enormous changes and sometimes in very short windows of time. And I know that the building of a movement and getting, you know, large numbers of people active on an issue absolutely makes a difference. And, you know, I think there's huge optimism because we're at a point in time globally and in Australia where people want to see action and they're starting to demand it. I don't know. I don't. I, sometimes I don't really believe in the optimism because I feel like you. This is your life's work. You've been working in this kind mm. of, you know, save the planet capacity for a very long time. Don't. I mean, how do you stay sane? <laughs> because you've got the answers, and you just need yeah, people to listen. It is frustrating. And and, and also you when, when you get the kind of rote things back, like, oh, well, that would mean we can't have any jobs. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> want to pull your hair out to say, no, no, we have a choice in what kind of jobs. Do we want people digging up coal? dying in mines, suffering the health impacts of the dust? Or do we want to look to clean energy, which solves the climate crisis, is a sustainable long-term job, and is a nicer job for people, and we can do that. Uh, you know, when we when computers were introduced, uh, an entire sector of people, you know, secretaries, went out of business, more or less, um, in the way that they were operating uh, at the time. You know, people just started to do their own work on their own computer. Um, We've seen these transformations happen over and over and over. Every time a new technology comes in, it shifts the nature of the economy. Yeah, and, and so I guess we wouldn't s- say that, you know, 
after computers, all everyone lost their jobs right. and there were no new jobs. That's right. There is a whole new sector of jobs that will come along. So I guess that's what keeps me motivated is to know that we've done it before. We'll do it again. And to watch, really, this is one of the, if not the biggest issue the human race has ever faced. If we figure this out, we can kind of face just about anything. And we have to do it as a community. We do. All right. Speaking of community uh, and awkward segues, uh, kind of maybe just pick up the phone and call eight double three double two nine four five and support your community station. We bring you good stuff all the time, bring you new music. You've got specialists across every hour of the day doing amazing things and people behind the scenes just doing it for zero dollars because they love the community and they love doing what they do and they want to bring you good stuff. And you get it all for free. I mean, people subscribe to Spotify and you're not really getting as much in depth amazing content as you are with fbi radio and we are cheaper per month to sign up as a supporter and we can do more for you in sydney so call eight double three double two nine four five we've got lovely people out in the corridor open uh, answering the phone and uh they'd love to hear from you we really appreciate it if you could and thank you again to hamish from roseville for signing up as a supporter of this fine station online which you can also do if you don't have time to make a phone call so we have a song to take now by the wonderful andrew bird yeah brought in by blair polizzi who's my yeah. guest now of the box today and what, what do we have uh it's nice it's a table and chairs it's called uh, it was introduced to me by tim hollow who's a australian musician but also a an activist um he founded green music australia which is trying to bring artists together with issues but also green events and you know make make music an avenue for change so he introduced me to andrew and it's it's a lovely little song actually his brother is peter hollow yes. who does utility folk on fbi uh, Radio. of course he does it's all connected it's all connected we can call them friends and we can call Call them on their telephones And they won't pretend that they're too busy or they're not alone And if we can call them friends then we can call Holler at them down these hallowed halls Just don't let the human factor fail to be a factor Fit into the plan. 
I know we're gonna meet someday in the crumbled financial institutions of this land. There will be tables and chairs, there'll be pony rides and dancing bears, there'll even be a band. Cause listen, after the fall, there'll be no more countries, no currencies at all. We're gonna live on our wits, we're gonna throw away survival kids, trip butterfly guess an out of the box today would beg to differ worry about the atmosphere <laughs> and yes indeed there will be snacks that was andrew bird with the glorious song table and chairs brought in by my guest today blair polisi thanks for bringing that one in pleasure it's a great song so we're in the middle of a supporter drive here at fbi 94.5 and uh you can call us on eight double three double two nine four five, and you will go in the draw to work as one of them so we're we're in the business of music here and we would love to stay in business and do our business a little bit better for you so now let's careen back into your past (laughs) let's just go all the way back because we're going to have a bit of a bit of some smooth jazz in a second Mm. which is very exciting we don't get to do that every day on fbi and um you you were you were going to uni at new in new New york York. yeah Yeah. and born and raised near not far from philadelphia but my dad was a jazz musician Mm -hmm. played with uh some pretty incredible people in his day including clifford brown um, and one really interesting thing about that, he played in a mixed band, so a white drummer, the uh, rest of the band members were black. And at that time, that was simply not allowed in terms of performance. And they used to get turned away at venues when they'd turn up as a as a mixed band. You could be a black band and you could be a white band, but you couldn't you could play be a together. That's interesting. Yeah. I don't know why? Uh, who knows? So that you know died out, thank God, <laughs> and moved on. Another example of how change does happen and we can bring about change. Um, still a long way to go. But uh, I think the jazz uh, part of my world started so early and I was raised with that in the house all the time. So have a great love of that music. And then going to university in New York where it's all there accessibility-wise. I used to work in a nightclub called The Bottom Line and you know got the chance to wait on some of these jazz musicians that I'd been hearing about my whole life, like Stanley Turrenton, uh, that caliber of people. And they would play you know, on a Wednesday night to a half-filled room and you just almost cry with the, you know, the, shouldn't everybody be here to enjoy it? 
is. Um, so, you know, that was a lovely thing. And um, New York City, what a fantastic place to go to university. So I did politics and journalism and worked in um, journalism while I was there and had the opportunity to do internships yeah. with great people. And, and you were working with the ABC. I did. That, and uh, and a States, couple of magazines. It? Yeah, yeah. It, this was the national broadcaster. And I worked with, the, believe it or not, the film critic, um, who was a very lovely guy called Joel Siegel and took me under his wing and treated me as an equal, which was really fantastic. He was quite a celebrity in, in America and in New York at that time. So uh, it was a great experience. And to see how television worked, um, worked for a magazine called um, uh, that Lester Brown started. He was the media critic for the New York Times and then started this magazine called Channels. And it was all about fascinating new media stuff well before it started to really hit. In fact, the magazine went under, I think, because it was about 10 years ahead of its time. Yeah, uh, but it, it was right fantastic, you know, high-definition television and how Internet-type things were starting to come together and influence. And, and what decade's this? I don't even like to say. <laughs> it you was, don't have to say. I, I feel like I shouldn't. Uh, Mid-'80s, the mid-'80s. Okay. <laughs> is when it was. So that was pretty ahead of the curve and yeah. really fascinating. So so it seems like you were you were headed to the journalism world and since then you've been, you know, head of communications for Greenpeace, you've worked in PF Body Shop and you're now the CEO of 350.org in Australia. So shift. how did you, yeah, it's a huge <laughs> shift because I mean, at what point did you realize that maybe journalism wasn't going to fulfill all your dreams? Yeah, I think at some stage quite early on, I really felt like I wasn't interested in covering both sides of a story when it was so <laughs> obvious that there was one side that was right and the other side that, you know, wasn't. Um, and so I started looking into advocacy journalism. At that time, there was still a, quite an active um, base of magazines and outlets that were specifically based on solving a problem. So, for instance, Greenpeace in the U.S. had its own magazine. And so that was initially what drew me to, to work there, although I ended up in the PR office and loved it. But um, initially, I thought, well, I can combine these things and, and take up an issue. Um, I didn't study environment in uni. I really learned on the job at Greenpeace in Washington and um, from some fantastic people uh, and the learning curve was steep and amazing and uh, I somehow over the years managed to work on uh, nuclear issues most of the time that I was at Greenpeace and there's nothing as sexy as um, for instance you know nuclear weapons uh, when weapons go, right, cool when they disappear, <laughs> when uh, the money involved, uh, you know, it was a, it was a, and testing in the uh, Pacific, you know, all these we, things yeah. were pretty big. And we're going to talk about that all in a second, but first we've got a track from your time in New York, Thank and you. it is called Autumn in New York, mm. and it's by Louis Armstrong and Ella Fitzgerald. Blepelizzi is my guest on Out of the Box today. Sign up on 833-22945 as a supporter of the station. Autumn in New York Why does it seem so inviting? Autumn in New York It spells the thrill of first shimmering clouds in canyons of steel they're making me That brings the prize. 
at the Ritz will tell you that it's divine this autumn in New York transforms the slums into Mayfair Castles in Spain. Yes, lovers that bless the dark. Oh, on the benches in Central Park. Great autumn in New York. It's good. To live it again. It's just like us on FBI. Some smooth jazz on your Thursday. It's Louis Armstrong and Ella Fitzgerald. And it's Autumn in New York, brought in by my guest today, who is Blair Polizzi. He studied in New York to be a journalist and then didn't become a journalist. Exactly. Instead, ran off with Greenpeace, <laughs> as you do. As you do. Yeah, it was fantastic. And so I, I'd love to hear a bit about what you've done with Greenpeace. So you were big into the, the nuclear side of their campaign. You weren't the, the save the whales type, though necessarily maybe they're res- related, you know. How would how would maybe stopping nuclear waste being spread hither and thither would be a problem for whales? Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> and actually, in my first, well, I started as an envelope stuffer, um, and that's that's exactly how this station works. It happens you know? a lot, and you know, it wasn't <laughs> something I was seeking out necessarily. Yeah. And I fell in love with it. Really, it was one of those and sort of first week. Hmm. Couldn't believe this place existed and that people did this for a living, and you know, got paid, got paid to okay, do. Okay, that's not how FBI works. <laughs> no, exactly. But you know, you, you get start, paid a lot, but yeah. you get paid a little something to you do. start on frontline you move yeah. up to the next thing and then you just do some writing and then maybe you end up as a producer and then you're up on air and then who knows maybe you get a job here once in, <laughs> if you're lucky <laughs> if you're lucky yeah. but yeah so 
I think a lot of people really do want to work at Greenpeace. It's quite competitive. Yeah, it must be. Uh, these days, I you know wouldn't know as much, but at that time, it was certainly you know one of the most well-known organizations mm. in the world. In fact, as I remember, the brand was like up there with Coca-Cola. Yeah, I think it is globally. Still, yeah. um, you know, incredible. And I think as a kid, I'd watch those seal harvest you know campaigns where people would spray paint the seals and run and throw their bodies in front between the hunter and the seal up in Canada. And you know, that's really dramatic stuff. <laughs> Wow. And I just thought it was so creative. And mm. if you were interested at all in media, their use, their ability to use images and tell a story through a campaign like that, um, I think was, you know, it was, and, and one of the founders, one of the Canadian founders was actually one of those sort of media gurus who really understood the potential to use media to um, to start a campaign, to get people active and involved, and then to bring about a change. And I think that, for me, was really, really inspiring. And I'd love to hear about a campaign that you worked on in particular. There was a time where Russia kind of seemed to run out of space for their nuclear junk. Mm. What were they doing with it? Store, they were storing liquid radioactive waste from their submarines, and they'd literally run out of storage space. Uh, and through various contacts in Russia, outside of Russia, um, there there was a hint that there might be another solution, which would be to take a boat out and dump it at sea, which uh, at this point in time was not actually totally illegal, but obviously would be politically pretty questionable, and particularly based on when and where they were going to do it and who would be impacted by it. So uh, a group of uh, campaigners got the idea of going up in a boat and checking out this the rumors we were hearing about where and when they were going to dump this waste. And I remember the communications team saying, yeah, come on, you're never going to get them dumping that waste with a hose over the side of the boat. You know, they'll put it through the ballast or they'll do it in some way that you'll never know that they did it. And damned if the Greenpeace boat with a camera on it didn't pull up in front of this boat and watch them put a hose over the side and the radio, the Geiger counters going off as the liquid waste was being pumped off the boat. Um, and horrific. we shot it, sent the footage uh, via what we called the squisher over a satellite phone line, downloaded it in London. That story went all over the world in about 20 minutes um, with the help in particular of a Japanese TV station uh, that was kind of tracking the same rumors and stories that we were hearing. And that story broke. And within a month, there was a ban on liquid radioactive waste dumping at sea. Whew. And that's huge because I don't think that campaigns usually go that effectively. Exactly. Often you look for it, you see years. it, you film it, you put it out. <laughs> The whole world covers it, and then you get a ban officially yeah. worldwide. Unbelievable. Um, for me, maybe one of the best things I've ever been able to work on it with the, an incredible group of people. But, uh, you know, that it's one of those, no doubt there were many people working on that campaign for decades before, but the fact that it just kind of came to that, that point and the success happened, um, yeah, for me, that was an amazing uh, campaign and one of those stories most people would never have heard of unless you were interested in it or you lived in Japan. Or, um, But it did make global news. And um, to be part of it happening and then watch the reaction both in Japan and around the world and in Russia was phenomenal. And another campaign that you worked on was, well, you know, you worked on many campaigns with The Body Shop. And mm. they, I mean, that's where I first heard of what free trade was and, you know, you know, workers' rights and stuff. Because The Body Shop was very much spearheading that kind of stuff yeah. on, on the worldwide stage. And what was, what is the Ogani? Ogoni. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Um, well, when I, I when I was at Greenpeace in London, we also had worked on trying to protect. There was a campaign of um, a, 
a small group within Nigeria who were impacted by Shell's oil drilling, um, where they were both trashing the whole region of, that the Agoni lived in, but also the Agoni were not seeing any of the financial return for this stuff being extracted off their land. Um, and there was one man, incredible man, called Ken Sarawiwa, who was an activist trying to say this isn't right and it should be stopped and Shell should be stopped and the Nigerian government should be stopped. Uh, and he was executed. And it set off uh, a huge, uh, you know, worry and alarm around the around the world about uh, human rights in Nigeria, but also that what what would people do to keep oil pumping out of a particular part of the world? Uh, and then on the back of the, so at this point, a couple of years later, most of the organizations that had been working on it kind of pulled back. Uh, but the body shop stuck with it, and there was a lovely Australian uh, named Richard Buller, who's back in Sydney now working, who led a campaign to protect 11 others that were arrested after Ken was executed. And they were very much facing the same fate. They were going to be killed. Absolutely. There was no trying doubt. to stop people from drilling And to keep oil. raising this issue that the, the environment was being trashed. I mean, it really was, as you mentioned earlier, it was apocalyptic looking. There were oil spills everywhere. There were open burning of oil. There were locals pooling oil off where, where you know, things were happening because they had no energy themselves, so they were finding ways to drain uh, oil out of the region, you know, where the, the where they were drilling for gathering, digging it. Gathering yeah, it off the ground. Literally. And um, conditions were horrible. Again, no money was coming back to their community. Uh, and these 11 continued the fight after Ken was executed. And um, while I was working there, uh, Anita Roddick and Gordon Roddick, the founders of the Body Shop, actually made a trip to Nigeria to raise and heighten the awareness that these 11 were facing the same fate, and their lives were spared. And it was, again, one of those campaigns you think, you know, could we do it? Can we have any impact on something that's so global? Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, thanks to a lot of good hard work by a lot of people, those those men were saved. Yeah. And a lot of the campaigns you've worked on are clearly to avoid apocalyptic, awful, terrible things from happening. <laughs> but then there are some good ones, like when you worked on an album with R.E.M. Yeah, that was good fun. <laughs> uh, <laughs> one of the Greenpeace US team, we actually had an album project team, and they, they thought, well, let's record uh, live music using solar. This was back in, again, uh, this would have been early 90s. Solar technology was pretty limited at that time. It was still still pretty limited. Um, but there was enough of it to say, let's, let's try. And they had this sort of solar van that collected sun all day and then we'd use the energy to record uh, live concerts. We had U2 um, and we had oh, can I even remember back how many bands there were. It was a double album so it was quite I think Annie Lennox. Uh, it was it was a great collection and, and all the artists that contributed the time and energy were interested in supporting the move to renewable energy um, and REM I got to go down to Georgia to their original club where they got their start called the 40 Watt Club and they actually this was not a touring time for them. They just put on a small concert for their sort of local fans. So like, uh, yeah, thanks for launching us into worldwide stardom, guys. Well, they were, they were, you know, at that time they were huge. They were mm. filling whole state, you know, 40, 50,000 people stadiums. And we saw them in a club with, you know, 300 people awesome. and had dinner with them. And it was terrific. My guest in another box today is Blair Polizzi. She is the CEO in Australia of 350.org. And she means business, business of saving the environment and we also mean business, but we're more so in the business of music. Not as glorious, but pretty good for you. And uh, if you uh, enjoy, enjoy what we do here at the station, eight double three double two nine four five is the number that you can call to talk to one of the people who volunteer here and let them know, hey, I'd like to put $5 or $10 or, if you're passionate, $15 a month behind the station and, you know, listen to the benefits. And here we go. It's REM. End of the world. Great, it starts with an earthquake, birds and snakes and arrows. 
prisioneiro Vou cantar-te nos meus versos Brasil, samba que dá bamboleio Que faz gingar o Brasil do meu amor Terra de nosso Senhor Oh, Brazil. <laughs> this song, brought in by my guest today on Out of the Box, Blair Palizzi, is uh, from a Brazilian artist. She's yeah. Oh. Quite a change from R.E.M. So smooth. <laughs> I, I don't know if that was the most graceful uh, transition I've ever made, but I mean, when it works, it works. When it doesn't, it's hilarious. And now we've got Gilberto Gil. Um, so, you were in Brazil at some point for what is essentially the Environmental Olympics. Please go Yeah, on. the original Earth Summit, giving away my age, but uh, it was, you know, one of those pivotal moments where everyone thought, this is going to be it, we're going to come away with all these commitments and we're going to turn the corner and we're going to learn to live sustainably and we're going to work globally on all these problems. And it was, and I spent a month in Rio, which was, you know, pinch me, it was just too good to be true, got introduced to all this amazing music uh, that was extremely accessible while you were there. Um, but, you know, I think everyone flew in, presidents, Al Gore, everybody was there. Um, the commitments were minimal and they didn't really achieve a whole lot. And we, you know, had another Earth Summit not long ago. And, you know, I think it, it, these things are important and they're critical to do. And uh, being there as, a, as a, an environmental organization is important because you're trying to influence an outcome. But I think we can't put our eggs in those baskets. And the upcoming meeting in Paris for the, the next COP, the big climate meeting, you know, I think we have to go in with eyes open and hope for a little bit and not for everything. Um, and be realistic about the challenge, you know, how hard it is to get all the countries of the world agreeing to something. Uh, but, you know, we still have to keep trying. At least you got to do some cool things while you're in Brazil. It I mean, was terrific. The Dalai Lama. Yes. He was in town. He was on board the Rainbow Warrior, took my arm as he entered uh, so the green piece ship. the ship mm -hmm. that was there at the time and uh, actually had a, about a 20-minute private meeting with the, with the crew. He wanted to talk about inv active environment, active nonviolence. So it was quite a beautiful, uh, interesting idea, the idea of active nonviolence. Um, interesting right now because in Australia there's a real effort, uh, you know, maybe more detail, what I call insider baseball as an American, but uh, the government's actually been holding hearings to try and take away the charitable status of environmental groups, particularly those that organize protests, um, things like blockades, blocking coal mines, you know, things yes, we've been yeah. actively involved mm. in. Uh, and to hear the Dalai Lama talk about active nonviolence, that's really interesting. It's, a, it's, a, it's an idea. This isn't violence for the sake of violence. This isn't destructive violence. This is protest that people feel there's no other way to say you simply can't you know, keep building coal, coal mines, you can't keep drilling for gas. We will put our bodies on the line to prevent you doing that. And it's, uh, you know, is it a radical idea? I don't know, we've been doing it an awfully long time. It's been very effective. So we're now using it against fossil fuel projects. Awesome. And Blair Palizzi would like you to divest from fossil fuels. We'd like you to invest in FBI. So call 833 if you want to become a supporter of this fine station, just like Lachlan from Bulleye and David from, I believe, Darling Point. Thanks so much, guys, for signing up as supporters of this fine station. Welcome to the fam. Good to have you here. And uh, we'll make sure we do all of the cool things and make all the cool things happen for you as our supporters. That's what we try to do every day. We're, we're all doing this for free. We're all volunteers at the station. And uh, yeah, thanks so much for, for becoming supporters. And if you'd like to become a supporter too, from as little as $5 a month, 
you can become a supporter of FBI. Call eight double three double two nine four five, or alternatively, fbi.com, fbiradio.com forward slash support. That's as easy as it is. And while we're while we're in Brazil, Blair, so you actually got to go to the favelas on a on a tour, and favelas are, I guess, the slum area, yeah, the very right, impoverished above, area above Rio. Um, mm-hmm. We the Greenpeace took uh, media up to the favela, and it was really one of the first times that we really focused on the issues of poverty and the environment because most often those that are the poorest are suffering the biggest impacts. Same with climate change now. Sadly, it's not the countries that have caused the problem that will, that are suffering uh, as, as much as, for instance, countries like the Pacific Islanders or the low-lying countries of Southeast Asia and countries in Africa where the drought has just been you know, phenomenal. Um, so that's a theme that I think runs through a lot of the work uh, environmentalists do. But to see, uh, to, to have time to wander through this huge area, it goes on for miles and miles and miles uh, where people don't have running water or sewage uh, often houses would just fall down the side of the cliff you know they weren't they were extremely temporary structures and you had whole families living in you know tiny little uh, corrugated iron topped you know little houses um, and yet they were very much uh, open to us and wanted to talk to journalists were interested in participating wanted to know more about the earth summit and, and wanted to be represented there uh, so it was an amazing opportunity to see something that ordinarily, you know, you would never have an opportunity to see. Amazing. looks like we've run out of time for Out of the Box. I feel like this happens so much where we've just got <laughs> so many things to talk about, so much music, some of which has been happening just in the background here. So this is Aquera do Brasil. <laughs> yeah. I don't speak Spanish at all. <laughs> Portuguese. <even>. Portuguese. Oh, <laughs> oh, dear. And now we've got time for one last song. Thanks, Blair, for, you know, play, basically playing DJ here. I know that you've got big CEO duties to take care of right now. And, oh, it's a great pleasure. Thank you so much. Uh, thank you so much. Really appreciated it. So our last song for the hour is from... Nick Cave. Mm-hmm. And tell us why you wanted to bring the song on. Uh, so Australian for me. I fell in love with Nick Cave when I was living in London. And I, I just think uh, he's such a wonderful sort of voice for Australia's sort of creativity, innovation. Um, you know, he's an artist in all kinds of ways. Uh, he inspires, I think, a lot of people to do arts of all kinds. And I guess, you know, here we are. We're at the moment where we can choose inspiration and innovation through things like renewable energy and going with that trend. Uh, and Malcolm Turnbull, we're asking, you know, let's do it. Let's all look to the alternatives and be part of it and not be stuck in the 1950s. Amazing. Divest from fossil fuels, invest in FBI radio. <laughs> Once again, the number is eight double three double two nine four five. We love you to be part of this community, not only through listening, but also through ab- absolutely making it happen. You know, that would be fantastic if you would sign up, just like Lachlan from Bullet and David from Darling Point, who are heroes in my eyes. And here we go. It's time for Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds, the ship song on Out of the Box. Thanks, Blair. Thank you. Come sail your ships around me And burn your bridges down
Your face has fallen sand. 